I was meeting for lunch this week a, a, a friend, a minister of, of the Church of Scotland. I have to say this, working from home is all very well, but when your wife now works from home and she knows where you go and how many lunches you have out and coffees and all the rest of it, then really it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Oh dear. And she said, where are you going today? <laughs> so I met my, my friend who I've known many years. He actually was a student with me when I was in Kemuel Mount Ben in the Carmel Church. He's minister, well, I won't say where in case you start trekking, but he's minister in Lanarkshire somewhere. And he's, 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 he's younger than me, and he's in his early 50s, so he's in the peak, in a sense, of the, where you are in the kind of hierarchy of the church, in the sense of being involved in committees and doing this and doing that. And so he's very, very busy, as well as doing a course on counselling. And part of the reason I was seeing him is because I'm involved a wee bit with him on that. But we were chatting more generally, and the person, and I said his name, the person was had been at a long meeting, six hours on Zoom. There we are. You think it's bad enough and it'd be an hour and a half listening to something but on, 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 online or on Zoom. But this was six hours on Zoom. And it was to do with the presbytery plan. Those of us who are older know the story of this church will know that we've um, fallen foul of presbytery plans a number of times, both in my predecessor's time, or rather before he came, and then obviously in our time. Well, there's yet another plan. I did once hear somebody in business and in commerce saying that when organizations keep having to produce new plans, that's actually a sign of terminal decline. But there's a new plan. I do actually believe that our friends in the old parish had to fill in a large form to justify their existence. I don't think that would have gone down too well with some of the folks from the old parish, but they had to justify their existence. And there is a grouping being formed between Baldwell Parish and the Old Parish Church, View Park and um, Burnhead Church. And one of those churches at least is to go. It wouldn't be Baldwell Parish. I can imagine that wouldn't be going. But you can imagine the stress and the strain that produces. As I say, many of us here shared through a time when that was our experience. And as he was talking about that, and it's a, he's involved in a presbytery that stretches from Bowness on the banks of the Forth right down to Bigger, where Colin and Emma and Hannah live. They're all now in the same presbytery. Trying to work out something in the midst of that is, well, is difficult, to say the least. But along with all of that, my friend was saying that as he had been at these meetings and listening to what folk were saying, he said he felt that the church had somehow lost its way. And he's somebody who I have a great love for and respect for, but would be different theologically than I would be. But he said that the church had lost its way and that there was a lack of confidence about the future of the church and about where it was going. We're talking here particularly the Church of Scotland, but I think to be fair to the man, it could be across wider, broad spectrum. And what should the church do about it? And how could the church regain confidence? And in our conversation, and as I say, it's somebody I know well and, and have a deep respect for in many ways, I had to respectfully remind him that, of course, if you start undermining the foundations of the church, if you start calling into questions the, the very central doctrines of what constitutes the church and what the church should be about, what the message of the church is about, if you cast questions upon about Jesus and who he is, and what he did, then it's hardly surprising that the church begins to lose its way. 
and as somebody who's no longer, thankfully, in the Church of Scotland, and we're well out of it, I have to say, in many ways, I, 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 it's easy, perhaps, and perhaps some people would criticize, it's easy for others outside to say, well, we told you so, but and sadly, that's the reality. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we about? What do we believe? Is the good news of Jesus? Well, what is the good news of Jesus? Who is Jesus? All of those questions, which can rightly be asked by people searching and seeking about faith. Indeed, should be asked by people searching and seeking about faith. But when the church, when the body of believers are not clear about these things, then a lack of confidence is the least of the problems. And interesting, and I was reminding and saying to him that um, we're looking these four Sundays, next Sunday as well, we'll finish off next Sunday, at this first chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. It's, a, it's Paul's first letter to a church that he saw set in many ways in a very different world, but in many other ways, a very similar world. A world where it wasn't even so much that people were atheistic or humanistic, although there was that philosophical strand there, very much so, in the ancient world, but the people had adopted other religions, other spiritual realities, other things that had appealed to them, especially in this part of, of the ancient world in Greece, and we made reference from Acts 17 of how when Paul went to Athens, there was a whole group of people who liked nothing better to talk about the latest philosophy or thought or idea that was going about. That spirit of the age then very much is the spirit of the age in which we live today. And so, although it was written a long time ago, it has relevance for who we are and what we're about today. And Paul, with his team, with Silas and Timothy, and the importance of training up younger people for the future and for the future ministry of the church, he and this band of brothers and sisters, no doubt, as well, went along with them, is involved in not only seeing this church found, being founded, but is growing. And the use he's heard from Timothy, and there's references later on to that, the use he's heard from Timothy, who stayed behind and then went back to hear what was going on, is positive. Good Use. And so he says, as we saw, we always thank God for all of you, continually mention you in our prayers. Remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Here is somebody who's positive about the church. And he's in a world and in a society where there was all sorts of problems. In fact, he makes reference of that. In verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe sufferings with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, later on in chapter 2, and I encourage you to follow this in your own Bibles or on your phone or whatever it is you're using. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says this, for you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. The church was living in a world of persecution, where there were tensions, where there was oppositions, where there was, humanly speaking, a less than conducive environment. And that, in a sense, should encourage us as we live in the 2020s in a less than conducive, or what we would regard as a less than conducive environment. The church flourishes. The church grows. 
certainly in confidence and in conviction, when the environment round about it is less than welcoming. That's the testimony of history, not only of Scripture. And Paul is thankful because he's seen God at work. Notice what he says. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen. You see, my friends, if we lose confidence in who's the boss, in whose work it is, in whose good use we believe in, in whose mission we're fulfilling, if we lose sight of that and we think it's to do with us keeping the doors open, holding up an institution, trying in our best efforts, no doubt our best efforts, to somehow make things grow. If that's our confidence, if that's our hope, if that's our assurance, then I'm sorry, friends, we're bound to fail. We're just simply not going to be able to do it. Paul is confident. Paul has encouragement. Paul is thankful because he's seen God at work. God's love which enters into the realities of the world and the lives in which we live and his call and his claim on people is seen in the formation of this company of believers. We were chatting and the various fellowship groups are good opportunities to talk through things in a more informal way and we were chatting on Friday at the one that meets on a Friday morning just about the fact that for most of us sitting, not for all of us, but for most of us sitting here, then we were brought up with at least some awareness of God, perhaps went to Sunday school when we were younger, perhaps even went to this church. We, were, we, we, we had that round about us. And although we can testify and look back at our own lives to a time when faith became real to us and when it engaged us in a new way, in a life-transforming way, it's perhaps hard for many of us, as I say, not all of us, but for many of us to understand what it's like to go from not knowing anything to knowing, not everything, but the one who does know everything, the living God. And yet the crying need in our society today is for exactly that. For conversion. For people to be turned. For a whole new understanding of them, their own lives, and their relationship with God to be found. That's why we need to pray for those who've taken the Try Praying booklets. That as they read and as they think and as they seek God's face, perhaps the first time consciously they've sought God's face in their life, they'll know that God loves them and they'll hear God's call in their life. Indeed, I would go to say that the very fact that we're prompted to take a booklet is a sign of the Spirit of God preparing and working in their hearts and opening their hearts up to believe. That's part of God's work, the work of the Holy Spirit, to cause people to stop and to think and to look. And that they would enter into that knowledge of God's love and grace in Jesus Christ. When I read those words myself, I, I, the words of Jesus came to mind that I'm sure we're familiar with. But words that are still very vital and important to us. These words of Jesus, when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is the invitation of the eternal God, the one who has created everything that is, but the God who has entered into time and space. And here is the invitation of that God to say to you and to me, Come, come to me, 
all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Paul was confident about that message. And my friends, if we lose confidence in that or we don't have confidence in that, then, well, I'm afraid the ship sailed and we are left behind. And one of the reasons why Paul was confident was because it produced results. There were fruit. There was fruit. Again, we remember the words of Jesus there when he spoke to the disciples and reminded them that they were called by him, by Jesus, and there was to be fruit. You did not choose me, John 15 and 16, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Remember again, you did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. I had a discussion a few weeks ago with another minister. I have to apologize, Isabel, a good UEFA that you are. Most of my friends are actually still Church of Scotland ministers. You might say they haven't seen the light yet, but, <laughs> but they are. And I had a conversation with another Church of Scotland friend, a friend I've known for 40 years and more. And we got into, let's say, quite a discussion about fruitfulness and whether a sign of faithfulness is fruitfulness. I'll not go into that long discussion apart from the fact that, um, well, let's say we'll not be discussing very much for a wee while until things calm down a bit in his situation. <laughs> and if he's listening, I'm sorry, brother, but well. <laughs> because there is a connection. There is a connection between faithfulness. I mean, let's be honest, friends, and Jesus talking in that context of the vine. If we planted a plant that was, produced, that was meant to produce potatoes or grapes or something, and it didn't, would you keep year after year tending it, feeding it, looking at it, be like Prince Charles and talk to it? Eventually, you'd give it a time, but eventually you would say, we'll be done with this and we'll plant something else and we'll see the flowers or the fruit being produced. And you know, my friends, and we can argue and we can say, well, how much went to talk about fruit? Well, I did remind my friend that Jesus himself talked about the fruitfulness of the seed and the sower, and there was a variation of the amount of fruit. Of course there's variation in the amount of fruit. We've got an apple tree in the garden, and one 2020, during, well, not during lockdown, but that year, it was very fruitful. Last year it had a year of rest. This year there's a lot of blossom, well, the blossom's now gone, and the fruit is starting to appear. There's going to be a year about, of course, fruitfulness varies. Of course there's seasons of different things within life and within the life of God's people. Of course there is. But at the end of the day, fruit is a sign of the work of God. Look what Paul says. We remember before our God and Father, what? That you were nice people. You all met together on a Sunday and sang a few hymns and heard one of my letters and they went home and carried on with your life. No. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is to be a tangible sign, my friends, if we are temples of the Holy Spirit, both individually and corporately. If the living God, who in his love has called us and claimed us and brought us into his own relationship and fellowship, my friends, that is meant to make a difference. And if there isn't a difference, then rightly there has to be questions as to whether God is known in that person's life in the first place especially lasting fruit. And that's what Jesus talks about. There's all flesh in the pan for a season. 
And that's why I bear witness to the fact that some of you older folks have always been an encouragement to me. As I've looked back in my ministry and seen people who have been through hard, difficult times, times that many of us, including me and certainly many of our younger ones, know nothing as yet of, and yet the fruitfulness of faith, their love for the Lord, and their life that tells the story, the old, old story of Jesus and his love. That, my friends, is the fruit, the work produced by faith your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is confident because the good news has borne fruit. You welcomed the message, he says, in the midst of severe sufferings with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And how we need that confidence based on the evidence of who God is, of what he has done, and what impact that has on lives, we need to keep that not just before us, but treasure that in our hearts. But of course, that impact as we move on is seen not just in others. Paul quite clearly says in verse 5, you know how we lived among you for your sake. And then he goes on to say, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And because they saw that, they welcomed the message. I'm going to ask Ken to come forward now. Paul amplifies in all of that in chapter 2. And so Ken's going to come forward and read to us from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and read through us from verses 1 to whatever verse I said you were to read to. Bless you. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Thank you, Kate. 
Paul there, and if you're not had the chance really to read that follow and read it later yourself, Paul here actually quite surprisingly gives a testimony about himself. Let's be honest, we'd all be a wee bit embarrassed about that because we all have our good days and bad days. We all have things that we're confident about and we're happy to share with others. Other things we'd rather keep quiet and just not think about or talk about. But, and Paul's not claiming to be perfect. But notice what he says. Just verse, well, latter part of verse 7. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. There's understandable criticism at the present time, is there not, even in the midst of everything else, of the Prime Minister and others within the UK government about these parties and other things that happened and all the debate and the complexities of that. And we're waiting to hear the report, or at least the version of the report, that's going to be published soon about who was there and what they did. But there's a point there, isn't there? Character is as vital in many ways to the message as much as words, especially in difficult times. One of the issues we live in is a day where people question the character of those who are in authority, whether that be political authority, whether that be in medical profession or the legal profession, whether that be to a degree, although less significant nowadays, people like myself and others, there's always, you know, are they in it for what they can get out of it? Are they in it because they get off and having power or authority? Are they in it because of the money or because of the glamour? That certainly isn't the truth of being a minister nowadays, but, you know, that idea, are you in it to get out of it? It's very hard, actually, for many people to think that someone wouldn't be in a position of responsibility unless they were getting something out of it. That's very sad. That's very sad. And there are many who serve in public life in a whole host of ways who do so not because they're a grand, you know, for aggrandizement, because they actually want to serve. And it's important to remember that as Christians, we mustn't give in to that cynicism. Nonetheless, we can see sometimes why people are. That's why Paul here, and it's probably this reason he's saying all of this, is because there were some, certainly in the early church, who suggested that Paul and his team, of his band of brothers, were in it for what they could get out of it. The fact that they were beaten, the fact they were persecuted, the fact they were stoned, the fact they were shipwrecked, all these other things, the fact they had to sleep out and, you know, in all sorts of weathers and everything else, and they arrived in places and weren't always sure of a welcome or a response. Despite all of that, there were those, even within the church, who thought, well, these folk are in it for what they can get. Paul here is making it clear that that wasn't the case. And that their life not just what they said. And that's why he talks about, not simply in chapter 1, with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. There was a wholeness to the person. There was, yes, a conviction that was seen not only in what they said, but in who they were. They shared their very lives as well. You know, my friends, that's vital, not just for those of us who are in positions of public, whatever, that's true for all of us. That's true for a fellowship. We may be seeking or trying to seek to maintain some degree of social distancing, but that doesn't mean that we're separated from each other. Our concern for each other, our listening ear, 
our sharing of our lives, and yes, even our homes, hospitality, and the ministry of hospitality. How wrong it is if we're sitting in a house and we never welcome a friend or a stranger or someone from the church into it. That we never close open our lives to others. I would commend some within this fellowship. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to name names. I think of Nick and Meg over the years and how much they've welcomed people into their homes and extended the hand of fellowship and welcome to visitors amongst us. And I commend them for that. And that may be a particular ministry, but we can all open our lives up to others, not stick within our own closed confines or cliques. Because that openness, that love, that spirit of hospitality, that generousness that should mark the soul who's known the goodness and grace of God speaks volumes, not just to each other, but to our society about the good news and the generosity and grace of God. This past week in our devotionals, and I know those of us who come to these things find them, I find them uplifting. I think the folks who come find them uplifting. We've been looking this week because the prayer guide has drawn our attention last week to God cares, and we've been looking at these verses. Let me just read to you again these verses from 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Paul modeled that. He revealed that. He showed that. And that's our calling as well. And as we finish, the result was, of course, that the believers in Thessalonica modeled that. Back to chapter 1, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe sufferings with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you Gave us. We live in a day where we advertise things. We're getting a banner for the Jubilee service to put out the front of the church. I've, I've spoken to Gregor. Colin's doing that, and Gregor's going to put onto our Facebook page, or rather onto our, 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 our website, about the service and other things. We advertise. We make things known. The biggest, best advert, of course, is us personally. And the fruit of that is that others see that and want to model that. Fruit being born in other people's life. Changes that transform and tell a story to a broken and fractured world. The church in Thessalonica was just like that. Long before the internet, 
long before telephones, how old-fashioned even to use that word nowadays, long before all these forms of modern communication, the faith in God that was seen amongst the church in Thessalonica was widely known and proudly spoken of. Why? Because it was a sign of God's goodness. I sometimes come across people who ask me where I'm from. Elizabeth's the same through her work. And sometimes we mention where we're from, obviously. And they'll say, oh, Park Church, we've heard about that. And sadly, sometimes it's because, well, not sadly, but sometimes it's because of our story with the Church of Scotland in the past. That's of no relevance to today. The story people should hear about this little fellowship is not about fights we had with the C of S long ago now. It's about the life and the spirit of fellowship and the depth of faith. It's about work produced by faith, the labor prompted by love and the endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's to be the hallmark of this church and any church in the 2020s. Not what happened long ago. And I trust and hope that too is our prayer for our fellowship. And we'll, you'll be glad to hear, finish this chapter next Sunday.